Oh, if you're like me, um, you have questions sometimes, you know, the times and the seasons that you go through is what's happening in life, what's going on. You know, specifically, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have those questions about what God, what God could possibly doing in the midst of the certain situation or circumstance that I'm in right now, have you ever had that question? Where is God? What is He saying? What is He speaking? In the midst of my journey, what is God saying? And, and then sometimes you go through those seasons where, where it's, it's incredibly difficult to, you know, like David. I love David's honesty because David would sometimes, you know, one minute David is just giving thanks for, the, for God's greatness and who he is. And he's declaring the awesome greatness of God. Then you'll hit that psalm, which I think is just, why God had it in there is because you have this honesty and God says, where are you at, God? Have you turned a deaf ear toward me? That's one of the things he prayed. And sometimes we almost got, we get a little uncomfortable if we start getting really honest with God, but God loves our honesty. He's not intimidated by us. When we have hard questions and we're wrestling through life situations and problems, God is not insecure. You know, he's not sitting in heaven, you know, with his lip quivering, wondering why you have a hard question for him. He is sovereignly powerful. He loves us. He loves us in our insecurity. And he loves us even when we are in the midst of trials that we don't get. And he loves us to be honest with him. That's why I love, one of the things I love about David is he really revealed what it means to have a relationship instead of a religion. You know, religion, religion approaches God and, and, and tries to formulate what, you know, and this, and we have a religious answer for this. And, you know, somebody comes to us and maybe you've talked to somebody before and they're right in the middle of the fire and you feel like that you have to give some sort of neatly packaged answer for them. You know, that's, that's religion. A relationship sometimes is to look at them and say, I have no idea, I don't have a good answer for you, but I know that God's real. And if that's all we have to hang on to right now, that's good enough. And he wants us to be honest before him. But here's, the, here's the, that, that problem that, that we find ourselves in, that kind of the rock in the hard place, because we're told in Scripture, and, 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 and you'll, you'll, you'll probably resonate with this in your own life or someone that you know, that if God has all a power and authority, yet we don't seem to walk in that power and authority in our lives. Kind of what gives. Have you ever thought about that? That's one of the, that's one of the big theological questions that is out there. Especially if you're engaged in somebody that might be an unbeliever, maybe a seeker, maybe they're kind of agnostic. I believe that something's out there somewhere. But if God has all power and authority, then, and you guys know, fill in the, fill in the blanks. There's a list of questions that we have. So I want to give, I want to, I want to give the next couple of weeks, I want to take the next few weeks to, to, to look at developing a new perspective. And I pray that, 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 that it will be a, an enlightening time that the Holy Spirit will speak and just some things that I've wrestled through in my life and some things that I've kind of, you know, or walked with someone or, or someone that's close to you. And, and I pray that for myself too that God speaks to see somewhat of God's perspective and what's going on, to find Him working in the midst of what seems like to be maybe out of control circumstances. Is it okay if we're just honest before the Lord? 
And I think sometimes the church, I think that sometimes we, we steer clear of those hard questions sometimes because we don't know what to do. We don't have a neatly packaged answer for people. And I just feel like God wants to begin to give us a new perspective. You know, it's hard to see when you're so close to the situation. Isn't that true? When you're in the fire, when you're very close, it's so hard to see. And I believe that God, in some ways, and he, in his sovereignty, he won't let us see everything. But at least that we could walk in a certain level where he can maybe back us up or take us to a high level that we can look down and begin to see the picture a little bit clearer. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now think of that, that scene from, uh, I think it's the Indiana Jones, uh, not the last one, that one's weird, uh, the one before that. Um, you remember when he's in the library and he's been following, you know, I, I love the Indiana Jones series, and he's, he's trying to find the X marks, the spot, that kind of that, that, that typical idea, and he's in that library, remember, and he can't see it, and, and they're looking around, and the problem is, is they're standing right on it, and remember, he gets up into the second level of the library, and he looks down, and there's a big X on the floor where they were standing the whole time. Oh, X marks the spot. That's kind of the picture here is sometimes we're standing in the midst of what God is doing, but because of circumstances, we can't perceive, we can't see, we don't understand. And God sometimes will take us to a place and we go, oh, so that is what you were doing. I don't know if you guys, uh, most of you probably have heard of him, but uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Christian recording artist, Mary Beth, his wife, uh, she wrote a book couple of years ago called, or probably last year, Choosing to See. If you don't know their story, I want to share a little bit about that, and that kind of goes in with what what I'm going to be sharing today. But uh, he is a phenomenal uh, Christian recording artist. I've been a Stephen Curtis Chapman fan for many years. Um, I was a fan back in the 80s, and he's just kind of stood the test of time, maintained his integrity, loved God back in the days when he had that really bad-looking mullet. You guys remember those days? Yeah. Who had a mullet? Be honest. Nobody's, nobody, yeah. <laughs> Who wishes they had a mullet? Carrie wishes he had a mullet. So, uh. But um, they had probably the worst case scenario that you can imagine happen in their family. Most of you are probably familiar with that story. If you're not, they, uh, they had three biological children, and then they adopted three little girls from, uh, from China. Uh, the youngest one, Maria, they were... She and the, one of the other girls was out playing. One day, they, uh, the, the oldest biological child is a daughter who was about to be married. They're doing some wedding planning. Um, the, the two little girls are outside. And, uh, and so then the youngest biological child, who was named Will, he's 17 at the time. He's coming home from a school play practice. And, uh, and, and, and so the two little girls, one's trying to help the little girl up onto the monkey bar. She can't because she's not quite strong enough, but she sees Will coming. And, uh, and, and the truck, and she says, I'm going to get Will to help me. So she runs toward where he's coming in, and, uh, and, and he's got a blind spot there. Well, he turns in, and she runs right out in front of him. He runs her over, and she dies. I mean, just the worst-case worst scenario that you can possibly imagine. And so they begin to reel from this whole 
situation and, uh, and all that. I mean, Will didn't see her. I mean, he's broken. He sees his little sister. And you can only imagine, unless you've lived through something like that, you can only imagine what they were going through. Well, the book uh, that she wrote is called Choosing to See. And uh, it's interesting because it's not just that story. It's kind of their lives and what God was doing. Um, you know, Mary Beth years ago fought with depression and anxiety. And just she shares a lot about the reality of what she went through. Even way before this, when they were first married, she was dealing with that. that that's the real and the raw of, of, of the Christian life. People that you think, they don't have a problem in this world. They're, they're on top of the world. He's a, you know, rich successful Christian recording artist. He has it all together. There's no problems, but she shares about the real and the raw. Well, then this situation happens, and uh, of course, you know, I won't get into all the, what they went through, but they're, they're reeling, and uh, they begin to pray, and they, they stayed actually a few days away from their house. Uh, they stayed at some friend's house just for a few days, just to kind of pick up the pieces, and, and they, be, they, they really leaned heavily on the Lord. If you ever saw an interview with them afterwards, it was absolutely beautiful. Larry King, I mean, they were on CNN, they were on Good Morning America. I'm, God was being revealed in and through that story. But in those first few days, they're sitting around as a family, and, uh, and, and, and Mary Beth shares the story that, that Stephen is praying, and, you know, and he's just grieving, and, and he says, God, I know that you're in control. I know you're sovereign, but I wish that we could just see what you're doing in here in this. Because right now I can't see anything. I can't. I can't see anything. Anything possible good coming out of this right now. And their prayer was, and as they prayed, help us to see. Well, interestingly enough, a few days later, they go back to the house the first time, and they're just kind of walking around and just, again, where you're, you're grieving, you're mourning, and that natural thing that happens. And Stephen goes over to a little window, uh, like a, a bay window area where the girls would draw and color, and, uh, and he sees a picture that Maria had been working on the day that she died. And it was, a, it was a flower, and that's actually on the book, and it's a flower, and each petal represented their family. One was colored in, and, just, and they said, you know, she's five years old. She had not been really writing words much, but at the bottom of the paper, the word see. And they said from that, from that time when they found that picture, God began to help them to see what he was doing in the midst of all that and that journey they share you know and obviously you know it's not like that the grieving or mourning just instantly went away but they begin to see with a different perspective and there's glorious testimonies obviously the the one you know the the, the ones that were obvious about uh when, when they were interviewed by national news media and and they were able to give glory to jesus and they're able to lean on Christ and talk about Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and just the stories that came out of that of what God did in and through their family uh, is very beautiful. If you haven't read that book, I encourage you to read it. Have a tissue handy when you're reading. But in the midst of our lives, we, we, can, we, we can find evidences of God's work. Maybe not right away. 
And again, sometimes when you're in the middle of it and you're standing on the, the proverbial X and you, and, and, and you just can't see it to save your life. And God wants to sometimes bring us to a place where we can see a little bit of what he's doing, evidences of his work, that he's there, that he's redeeming, that he is working. And then when a cynical world looks on and says, well, what could possibly good could happen out of that? What, what could God be doing? What could God be speaking? And then in and through us, we can point to him to reveal that he is at work. I'm going to take a look at a couple of passages, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. They're up on the screen, so if you want to, they're not the, the entire passage. I'm just leaving them, but they're, they're quite lengthy. But if you want to turn there, you can listen on. But one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The first one is a story that, that, that a lot of you will be familiar with, but it's the spies that are going into the promised land, and they're, 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 they've been... They've been set apart, these 12 spies, one from, each tribe of Is- one from each tribe of Israel. They're going to spy out the land to see the good land. And we have in this story a couple of different perspectives. And you're going to hear this unfold about seeing from God's perspective or not. They were to take inventory of the land and see that it was a good land. And you'll hear more about that as we read. But I'm going to start. In verse 17, at the first part of the chapter, it just gives us those names of those guys. But verse 17 says, when Moses, the, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or are not? Do, you, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob and all those names there. They, they looked around the land. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of words there. A lot of places. Read on your own time. When they reached the valley of Eshcol, this is verse 23, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Sounds like some really good grapes. Along with some pomegranates and figs, that place was called the valley Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Here's their report. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people there are very powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And that, uh, that's a group of people that were, that were known to be, they were giants, and not just any giants. They were warrior giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country and all the other ites. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. 
They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of a great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in, in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so you have two perspectives here. First, verses 26 through 29, it's these, these, these 10. It says, it, well, it's a good land, just, just like God promised. I mean, it's incredible. We've been there. We've seen it. The report is that it's awesome. It's everything that we could ever want, but. One of my uh, pastors who's now with the Lord, he was a pastor uh, uh, when I was in high school. Great man of God. Loved him a lot. He was a very distinguished preacher, very deep voice. And he never missed a word. I mean, it just was perfect, unlike me. Um, and one day, all of the teenagers, we happened to be sitting close to the front, and we're just all along, you know, we're all sitting together. And he says this, he said, and he's talking about serving God. And he said, you know, he's talking about how we make excuses for not serving God. And he says, you know, we, we said we will teach Sunday school, but we will work with kids, but we'll sing, but. He said, but, 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 I'm here to tell you, God's got a big but too. And the entire youth group just went down laughing. And uh, it's like, because it was him, you know, this guy is so distinguished, so if I said it, you guys probably wouldn't think a thing about it. Oh, you'd laugh at me, but. Uh. But they said, it's a good land, but. And they hear, then they give all these reasons why they can't. They can only see the obvious. Now, the obvious is, Right before them, there's giants in the land, warriors, people that kill people like us. The enemy was there. Intimidation was there. Fear was there. And here's a, here's a truth that is, I think, very biblical, very spiritual, but wherever the promises of God are, there's going to be a battle. The enemy is not content with you to simply walk in everything God has for you. He's going to battle against you. He's going to battle against your mind or heart. He's going to try to throw intimidation, fear, whatever he can do. But when the promises of God, uh, promises of God are for us, the battle is going to be there too. I think when the enemy fights against us, that he, I think that he's convinced that he sees what God is calling us to and he doesn't want us to walk in all that God has for us. Because part of what he's called us to is that we could be walking in victory as overcomers, as more than conquerors, as Paul talks about. The enemy will give you every reason in the world to try to convince you that your current situation is impossible. The enemy's all around. There's giants all around. There's no way that you can experience what God has for you. There's nothing good that can come out of it. There's no way that God could possibly be involved in your life and your current circumstances. 
And so these, these, these men, these 10 men, they go and they, and they see the land, and, or it's 12 of them, and they all see the same thing. And yet you have two different perspectives because I love Caleb's perspective in verse 30. We'll get to that in a moment. But see, when, if you go back to even the original sin in the garden when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what, what, did, what did sin, if you think about it, what did sin remove from them? I think it removed perspective. Part of what, maybe, maybe I'm not talking about the, the whole thing, I'm not throwing a blanket, say, but I think, it, I think it removed perspective. Because you see what happens with sin is the lie of the enemy to Adam and Eve. God's not for you. He's holding out on you. He doesn't really care about you. Because that's what he said. Did God really say that? And what was their response after they sinned? They give in to this temptation from the enemy. The enemy is there in the garden with them. And, and, and what, is the, what is their response? Is ultimately they begin to blame God. You know, before they had the perspective of God and they saw God's goodness, afterwards they begin to, the perspective shift and they begin to blame God. Because God, first of all, says Adam, uh, to Adam, what, what, what are you doing here? And what is Adam's first, he says, the, he, you know, he, he blames her, but he says, the woman that you created, this is your fault, God. This is, this is on you. Then he blames her. The woman that you gave me. But she wasn't complaining the day that he made her, right? Yippee-yay, Jesus, thank you, God, for this woman. And then when sin falls, it start, we start blaming. It isn't, but there's nothing, there's nothing new. When we are in the middle of the fire, we begin to, first of all, blame God. Then we blame others. Then sometimes we blame ourselves. And around and around it goes, and it's, and it's a matter of perspective. God, if you wouldn't have done this, then we wouldn't have done that. God, if you're so powerful, then why not just remove the enemy? And so what do we, what do we lose with sin? You know, we, 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 miss, we, we lose perspective, but we, we lose peace. Shalom, order. That the, the word shalom there, you know, people hear the word shalom. Shalom is more than have a peaceful day. Shalom means contented order. They had shalom in the garden without sin. They had God's order. They had God's design. They had God's blueprint happening. It was order. It was divine order and structure. And so what sin does is it removes that divine order. It re removes the shalom from our heart. But then what we do in response to that is we embrace this quest to find shalom again, to find peace, to find contentment, to find order in our lives. And then sin keeps us spinning away from that. And so then we have these false sense of peace and order and it it boils us down to ultimately, here's the thing, sin is, is if you boiled it down to one phrase, is self-lordship. I become 
Lord in my life, commander, chief, decision maker, I'm calling the shots. So it's self-lordship. I will be the master of my own life. I will be independent of anything and everything. But that's a false sense of control because then we become a slave to anything. So on this quest to peace and order, the enemy draws us to all kinds of substitutes for peace. And we see it all around us. It's in the Word of God. Addictions, relationships, escape from reality, entertainment, and ultimately away from God. And people are on this quest to find it. But here's the result of all that. Anxiety, stress, worry, torment, and not being able to see anything that God could possibly be doing in my life. And so then what happens is we just get into this place of way out here self-lordship where we just rail against God. And we remove God from our lives. And that's exactly the plan of the enemy. Sin gets our eyes off of God and onto ourselves. And that's what happened to the children of Israel in this passage, and that can happen to us. But we have to be on guard because it can happen. It's subtle. The enemy is deceptive, and he's subtle. And we have to be on guard to watch out for, for our own hearts. Because the second perspective is Caleb's verse 30. It says that he silenced the other ones. He said, wait a second. We can do this. We should go up. This is the promise that God has called us to. This is what we've been dreaming about. Their response. We can't do it. They're stronger than us. See, they refused to see God and they got their eyes on what the enemy was doing. Intimidation, fear in their hearts and their circumstances, it wasn't good. We went in and we looked at the obvious. That Here's, here's Caleb's response. Caleb went on in and saw giants. He goes, yeah, I've seen a group of giants, but have you seen God lately? This is the God that has gone before us. He has rescued us. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign over everything. Those giants are like grains of sand to him. And he had his eyes on God. Yes, the enemy is big. That's obvious the enemy is big, but God is bigger. Do we believe who God is in our lives? Do we really believe that He is bigger than our circumstances? Do we really believe that He's bigger than the enemy? Do we live like we believe it? Because the tendency is just to get our eyes on the enemy and what He's doing and wonder where God is. And He wants us to give us that new faith and new perspective like Caleb and ultimately Joshua, who was there too. Joshua became Moses' right-hand man. Because here's the story. Who's the two that gave a good report? Caleb and Joshua. Good for you guys. That, some of you guys are like, I don't know. Commit to that answer. Somebody, without looking at your Bibles, name any of the other ten. That's interesting. Nobody remembers people that are shaking in, with fear. 
Because I guarantee you that Caleb and Joshua, there was fear there. There's intimidation. You know, faith and courage are not the absence of fear, but it's responding to God even in the place of fear and intimidation. Yes, the enemy is big, but I'm going forward because I believe who God is and then I believe who I am in God. And we move forward anyway. It's a good place to say amen. Now you're doing it because I provoked you. I love David and Goliath. You know, the story of, it's the same kind of story. Goliath comes out, the giant. He challenges the children of Israel. And all the children of Israel, all the army, they have their eyes on the giant. And David comes out, who's this faith like a, like a child, this teenage boy that comes up and he sees the size of God. And he advances in faith and courage and wins the victory because he saw God instead of the enemy. It's perspective. Second passage I want to look at is Ephesians chapter 1. Kind of goes along this passage of perspective. Paul is praying, this is one of the apostolic prayers, but Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. And in verse 15, as I draw back, he said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And he loved these people, and he had planted this church, and he cared deeply about them. And then he goes on, he said, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, for remembering you in my prayers. And then he goes on to say this, and this is, this is the prayer. He said, I keep asking. And he's been praying over, and he goes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, and then he gives this list, you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, And every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I'm going to look, I'm going to break down this passage a little bit because it goes in regards to giving us a new perspective. And that's what Paul's praying for here. He's praying that the people of, uh, the, 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 the Christians in, in Ephesus, and he's praying ultimately for us because the word of God is for us. And he's praying that God would give them a new perspective and who they are in Christ. And so I'm looking at some keys to seeing with God's perspective. I like he says, I keep on praying, I keep on asking. In other words, I I want you to get this. And this is more than just words. This is essential to your walk with Christ. I really, really want you to get this. And so key one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. But he says this, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. 
the key to getting a different perspective, the, the key to seeing from God's perspective a little bit better is the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. Do you hear that? It's not just to have wisdom and revelation for the sake of wisdom and revelation. We all, we all would like and desire more wisdom and revelation in our lives, but he's, he's saying, I, I'm not just wanting you to have a spirit of wisdom or revelation just for the sake of that. It's the wisdom and revelation to know him more or know him better, the knowledge of God. To walk in knowing God better. And so he comes right out of the gate basically saying, we were created, and you'll hear me say this over and over because this is the gospel, and we have to be reminded of it every day. I know I do. We were created for intimacy with Christ Jesus, to know him better, to know him more and more. It's a relationship. We grow in him day by day, spending time with him, reading his word, loving him, worshiping him, receiving his love, running to the cross, repenting, praying. But he died and he rose again out of love for us. When we are in the midst of circumstances, trials, and struggles, he wants us to know him better, even in the midst of that. Because we usually equate his involvement with escape and rescue from our current struggles. Don't we? And this is one of those things that I think the, I think the church needs to talk about more. If I can be very honest just for a moment. Because in there, Paul reveals that all power, all authority belongs to Christ, who is the head over the church. He says that later on. And we hear that, and, we, and that's what I said at the beginning, is we hear talk of the power and the greatness and the awesomeness of God that he's in control. Then we see the reality of life and the reality of the world, and then we go, well, do those two add up? And, 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 and this is hard for me to perceive. And what happens when this guy loses his little five-year-old girl, who, and he loves Jesus? And that whole thing of why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people? Or bad things happen to good people? Why do and good things happen to bad people? And we wrestle with this. I think it's Psalm 73 that Asaph wrestles with that. He said, I see wicked people being blessed and blessed, and I don't get but he said, he said Here, I focused on that so much that I almost fell down the slippery slope myself. Because I think a little honesty before the Lord and, and, and with the church, and I think the church needs to talk about this, is what happens when God doesn't. And we ta- I, I touched in it on a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount. But I think it's time that the church begins to talk about it. Is, is you know, when, you, when you have people that come and they're, they're getting prayed for and, and, and we believe in power, we believe in authority, we believe in healing, we believe God's intervention is very real. And then why this person gets healed and that person doesn't? Why does God provide for that person? There have been two people that are praying for jobs and this person gets the job of their dreams. This person is just, they seem like that they just can't seem to get a break.
And a lot of times what the church has done is we want to shine the spotlight on the people that are getting the answers and we want to shuffle these people off to the side and say, let us know if God does anything. I say we start shining the light on them and them and say God is working. Maybe we don't perceive what he's doing, but he's working. He's speaking. He's loving. Because the cynical world looks on and they say, well, you have some explaining to do here. And I've seen it. I've seen where people have talked about being at a crusade. And I, I, I had a personal conversation with someone. They said, there was a crusade and there was a healing crusade and there's people that are being, and, and, and what they did was they were taking the people that were being kind of touched by God and they would kind of take them up on stage and they said they took this other group of people that really nothing was happening and they kind of, they had to go out the back. They kind of had to go back to your seat. What does that do for them? And I think it's time as the church we have to wrestle with these things. And the reality of God. So with Johnny Erickson, who's one of my heroes, I, I love that lady. She's paralyzed from the neck down. She's prayed for years for her healing. She said, I know God can heal me. And one guy one time took her off to the side and he said, if you had enough faith, God would heal you. And you lack faith. He rebuked her. And she said, sir, if you had enough faith, you could love Jesus and sit in this wheelchair for 40 years. That's what I'm talking about. God's grace in the moment. And when he heals one and he doesn't heal another, we have to say God is still at work and he loves it both equally. And there's not a value on one over the other. And for his glory, he's taken this person through this and, and, and he's revealing himself through in and through them. For this person, for, the, the, for glory's sake, he, he heals them and he touches them. But in both, they are valued greatly by God. And as the church, we have to start talking about these things and not just push one off to the side and embrace the other. It's to know him better. Paul is, is saying that. He wants us to know him more, know him in the midst, that he is there even if we don't understand. Key two, and I'm going to go, this is where he gives that phrase. He says, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. In other words, that we would see, that we would have new perspective in order to, key number two, know the hope in which he has called you. To know the hope in which he has called you. What is our hope in? He wants our hope to be in him. That was the, that's why he first said the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. And then he says to know the hope in which he's called. He is our hope, folks. If you have nothing else but Jesus, he's our hope. It's the Chinese pastor that was arrested for preaching the gospel. And he lived in, in part, of his, part of his job. And he spent several years every day knee deep in a cesspool. I've shared that before, but it is all about perspective. He's knee-deep in the cesspool, and the guards would put him out there, 
And at first, he just was bitter and he was angry at God and saying, God, I served you. I've, I'm trying to shepherd these people and, and this is the way you repay me. But God, and then he began to repent and say, God, forgive me for, and then he began, God began to help him to see from a different perspective and the guards would leave him alone and leave, because they didn't want to be around the stench. And so he said, then I could be open, I could be out in the cesspool and worship Jesus. And he said, I would sing my favorite songs to him out loud, which we couldn't do beforehand. And he said, that cesspool became my private garden. And one of the songs he sang was, I come to the garden alone. And he found the presence of Jesus. Well, did Jesus not love him because he allowed him to be arrested and stuck in a cesspool? No, Jesus loved him deeply. And his hope become, became, became to be in Christ alone, in relationship with him, and not just what he can do for us. It's all about him. When the eyes of our hearts are turned to, uh, turned to him for our hope, then we will be less likely to walk in fear and uncertainty or comparison. Because isn't it that our tendency is... When our hope is just in what he can do for me, then when I don't get that, then I compare myself to others, then all of a sudden they're better than me and I'm a worm. And we blame God, we blame others, then we look at ourselves. And that's that vicious cycle the, the enemy gets us to blame, rail at God, rail at others, or then just be self-introspective. God doesn't love me as much as the other person heals them, but what is our hope in? That person got an answer, I didn't. What's wrong with me? That's torment. Our hope must be in him and not just what he does. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story where they are, you know, everybody's told to bow to the idol, and they say, we won't bow. We will not bow. Then they're, they're taken, you know, by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, you will bow, and he's raging angry at them. This is the most powerful man on the earth at the time, and he's angry with them, and he says, you will bow or you'll be thrown into the, a furnace alive you'll be burned to death and they just simply with faith with the hope in God they said oh king you know they didn't rail against him they didn't say you're you're a goofball you know they just said oh king here's the deal we're not going to bow that's just done we're not going to we're not going to worship a false idol we're we're not going to bow Our God is able to save us. We know that he's powerful. He has all authority. There's no, he can do the impossible. Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, I I love that. Was that lack of faith for them to say that? Because a lot of people that just play the faith game don't even say that, don't even speak that. No, they they, they were okay with that. Even if he doesn't, King, we're still not going to bow. Because here's the deal. We win either way. Because either God's going to show up in the fire and we're going to have a miracle that's going to declare his glory or our death is going to bring him glory and we get to be with him today. We win, we win, you lose. Both scenarios. And we see God show up and I love their faith because their hope was not just in his rescue or not. Their hope was in him. Key three, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order to Know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance. This is such a freeing revelation. 
you guys realize that we are the inheritance of Jesus? You are his inheritance. He created you to know you. We were created for him and by him. And when we trust in him, it touches his heart. Because even Caleb that gave the good report, you know, he, didn't, he couldn't see the how, could he? They all saw the same thing. He couldn't see the how this was going to happen. He saw the giants just like the other people. But he knows, I belong to God. We are the children of God. And when we trust him in faith, knowing that we are in his, his inheritance, it touches his heart. Hebrews 12, it says this, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame of the cross. Who is the joy that was set before him? You and me. For the joy, the inheritance that was set before him, the creation, that, that people, broken, messed up, sinful people are the joy and the inheritance of Jesus. And he says, for the joy that's set before me, they are my joy. I will endure the shame of the cross for them. That should make you excited right there. He doesn't need us, but he chooses us. He isn't lonely, but he chooses us for his own. Key number four, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Know his incomparably great power for us to, who believe. And this is kind of the, the last part, and I'm going to close with this, but it's what is the power of God? And this is where I, I'm praying that we will have new perspective today. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read the end part of the scripture, and then I'm going to talk about it for a few minutes, and we're going to close. That power is the same, same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that he exerted. He did the work. And Christ is now seated at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule, all authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, but only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. One translation says where he fills everything with himself. Isn't that a great passage? He is everywhere. In other words, he's all authority all-powerful, and he's involved in the affairs of men no matter what's happening. He fills every little place, every little space with himself. This is about knowing that it's his power, not ours. It's about knowing that his power is unlimited and available only in Christ Jesus. And it's a realization through intimacy that he is the absolute, complete, and total power and authority over all things past, present, and future. He's got your life. When we belong to Christ, he's got your life in the palm of his hand. He can redeem the past, past failures, past struggles, mistakes, things that you wish you could go back in time. Anybody else have that story? I wish if I could go back in time, I would change this. We all have it. Regrets. He is the God who can reach back into the past and redeem that and cover that. 
He can give you hope for now, and he can give you hope for your future. It's believing that he's in control in every circumstance. This is about the power of God, because a lot of times we look at the power and they say, we say, the power is simply for me to get what I'm asking for. But it's believing that he's in control in every circumstance, situation, even if we don't feel him, see him, or perceive him. And this power, like the wisdom and revelation, isn't simply for power's sake, but to his power and strength that is manifested in our weakness. And listen to this, we will only get the true revelation of his power in humility and surrender and dependency on him and not ourselves. Did you catch that? You're only going to get the true revelation of his power in humility, surrender, and dependency on him. And as soon as you lean on your own power, your own understanding, or your own authority, you're gone. But it's all about him. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 Remember, he begged God to take this thorn away from him. He had this thorn in the flesh, and he says, I begged God three times. But then God answers and says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's all you need. My strength is perfected in your weakness. That's the power of God. When we get that, when we understand that it's about him, then the power is his hope in our despair. It's his peace in our storms. It's his comfort in our trial. Ultimately, it's all about him. That is the gospel. The gospel is that he is good, we aren't. He died that we might live. He was crushed so that we might have redemption. He was beaten so that we would be healed. And then when we catch that, then those passages in the Bible that we wrestle with when we're told by Paul to be anxious for nothing, you ever wrestle with that or you, you, know, you memorize it and then you start thinking about what that really is saying? Be anxious for nothing. Wait a second. Just stop right there. What did you just say? Don't be anxious about anything. How in the world do you do that? The power of Jesus Christ in me. It's power not to be anxious about anything. Or when the Bible says to count it all joy when we face trials. That doesn't even seem right. And we hear it. But do we just take a step back and say, what are you trying to say? That's the power of God. It's power to count it all joy when we face trial. It's power to rejoice in the midst of suffering. It's power to love and forgive when we don't feel like it. When Paul says love is patient, kind, it's all these things. And we go, how do you love like that? It's the power of Christ. Philippians 4, it's power to be content even when you're in prison. And Paul didn't say, well, the only way I'm going to experience the power of God is God get me out of this prison. And I demand with the authority that God's given me to get out of this prison. No, it's to find contentment and peace in the midst of the prison. That's the power of God. Knowing that God could rescue him just like he did Peter. Remember that story? You have two prison stories. One, the angels come in, they unlock Peter's cell, open it. He thinks he's dreaming. Is this for real? They walk past the guards, they go to the house. That's a little bit of intervention of the power of God. But don't we go, yippee, you know, that's the power. We love that one. The angels rescuing Peter out of jail, bringing him back home, and no one sees him. They make him invisible. I mean, you've got a lot of power going on. 
That same power was with Paul when Paul says, from the, the, the dungeon, I've learned to be content and at peace in all circumstances. That is equally the power of God. This is what it means to see from his perspective. And I don't know about you guys, but I need a new perspective today. I get to preach it, but I get to share it too. And I haven't got it figured out. It's what God's dealing with me. It's the, it's the real of, of walking in faith and walking with Christ and the things that we wrestle with. And it's time to talk about the real. I just get to spout it off to you and come along and jump in the van with you and say we're all on this trip together because I'm wrestling with the same things. But we all need a new perspective. And I'm inviting you today to a new perspective. We're going to put a CD on. We're going to have some, just some worship music playing. We're going to put the lights down. If you need to go, be blessed. But I encourage you to take that step of faith today. Come up. Um, I'm going to have our leaders, whoever's available, to come up. We're going to pray for you. We'd love to, to pray for you, pray over you of what you're going through. And you can share as much or as little as you want. This is just a, it's a safe place. But we want to pray for you and just to come alongside you. And, uh, but I encourage you to take a step of faith toward the Lord today to say, God, I want to see. I want a new perspective. I want to see what you're doing. I want, to, I want to see with your eyes. I want you to bring me up to a place and help me to see a little bit of your perspective and trust in you. Because God is real. He loves you deeply. And so we're going, to put, uh, we're going to put that CD on, and I'm going to pray here. If you need to go, be blessed. Uh, but I encourage you to meet with God today and uh, have a time with the Lord, at least, if, if nothing else, by yourself. But if you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We honor you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that just as Paul, when he said, I keep praying for you, I keep asking the Lord for this because he Lord he he wanted the people to get it Lord and and, and I want us to get it today that the eyes of our heart would be opened God forgive us when we have looked at the the enemy we only look at the negative circumstances we only look at what the enemy might do or what somebody else did to us we either blame you, we blame others, Lord, or we self-loathe in comparison. God, forgive us for all of that, God. It's all sin and wrong. And pray that we would see with new eyes today. Pray that you would encourage people today, that they would sense your love and your power and your hope and your peace. Because, Lord, you are real. God, give us new eyes to see. Give us new hearts. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll put the lights down and encourage you to come.